in this week's episode of From the Top. You're telling me they didn't fuck. <laughs> I would absolutely love for that to be the the reason why Kristen Chenoweth comments on any of our posts on Instagram. Dun 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 dun. Boom boom dun dun dun. Glinda was a raging racist, and I stand by that. I have always thought that Defying Gravity was in fact the finale finale song and not the act one finale song. <sighs> wow, okay. We've got magic to do just for you. Who knew that one offhanded comment could spark like three messages in our Instagram box uh, after being uploaded for one day? <gasps> I'm sorry, back this train up, say it again. What? Yeah. Who who knew? So I offhandedly Uh in our show notes, Evil Dead, just said the baker and Cinderella get together at the end. And I immediately had some people in the DMs Ah! being like, no, they don't get together. They just live together. (gasps) You're telling me they didn't (laughs) fuck. I mean, I they share a baby. Uh, I don't know. What? Yeah. yeah. Red Cross housing together in the <laughs> giant's destruction and they just coexist in their... No. Screw that. The magical Red Cross. <laughs> I don't. I don't believe that. But hey, here's the controversy that you keep saying you want, boo-boo. So I here it, it is. so much. It was so good. That is hilarious. That well, is hilarious. Were like, they weren't together at the end and I went... Prove it. Prove, prove it. (laughs) Feisty Steven said prove it. Oh my God. That, uh, anyway, that's my theory. Usually a scenario where if you're around somebody long enough, you're going to develop feelings, especially if you're caring for something like a child together in a, in an ethereal sense. Maybe? I don't Maybe. know. Trauma bonding? <gasps> oh That's my god, hashtag trauma bonding. It is totally a thing. It's a thing. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of magical, mystical realms and witches and uh, vegetables Tra- like corn. And trauma you know, bonding. That, <laughs> and trauma bonding. Uh, that's a perfect segue into oh my god, wonderful, wonderful show we're doing this evening. So I think we better take this from, from the, the top. top. From the top, a five, six, seven. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of From the Top, your favorite musical theater cast and review. And my name is Mary. My name is Steven. <laughs> It's perfect. I love every minute because it's okay. We're going to talk about why I chose that specific thing later on, because I'm just going to give you a hint. I'm a bad theater kid. I'm going to just give you my card right now. Uh, But yeah, we're going to, we're going to get into it. But folks tonight we are discussing a, I say this a lot, but this really is kind of a, a foundation, a cornerstone of musical theater. It is an iconic piece of art that pretty much every person across the world knows what this is. They've seen it. They've heard it. They've done something with it. Uh, we are discussing Wicked, the musical. She's dead. 
Uh, the tagline of it is so wonderful that I did. It's so funny. I've seen this poster a thousand times. I only just recognize or like registered the tagline. So much happened before Dorothy dropped in. And I'm like, oh, it's oh. so cheeky and fun. I'm like coming into this like pensive and nervous because this show is <gasps> an its own institution. Like it's You big. nervous, like, boo This is like a phantom of the opera sized pillar of the musical community Let's and so go. like how do you how does one talk about wicked you know how <laughs> how does this i love this show and i had never seen this show but mm. i i could have told you every ounce about this show Aww. even not having seen it like Yay. that is how much i i uphold this show and i i've yet to ever find someone who's like oh yeah i hate wicked I think Wicked can be overdone, maybe, yeah. for some people. But, I uh, yeah, I, this is still going to be... This, the, the, I just can't... There are no words. There, there are, are no, no words. words. <laughs> I'm going to give you the impossible task, then. Oh, God. Uh, three <laughs> sentences or less. How would you describe a synopsis for Wicked? This one is very hard because, I mean, we... We know that this is based on existing literature, right? So this is based on a book, which is based on a film, which, I mean, we've got a lot of source material that this comes from. For someone who, let's say, has lived under a rock their entire life and they've never known about this show <laughs> or this story in general, uh, I would say that my synopsis of this, an outcast who is treated like a pariah for the entirety of her life is sent to a school only to watch out for her sister is suddenly thrust up against someone who is her complete opposite in every single way though this relationship starts adversarial it slowly becomes one of the greatest friendships of all time and through a lot of hardship and coming into oneself and understanding what is really important in your life, only then are you truly free. That's what helps you defy gravity. Yes. <laughs> I think this sort of plays into um, sort of an underdog syndrome. Like would we, we as viewers, we as people, we, we as a human race uh, often identify or root for an underdog. And this is the perfect sort of synergy where we take something we are so familiar with, which is its own institution of the Wizard of Oz. Mm -hmm. Like you, you, that phrase itself will invoke some sort of emotion in you, no matter where you are on this rock hurtling through space. Absolutely. When Wicked can come onto the scene and it also invokes something. You could be a straight man living in the backwoods boonies of the <laughs> South and you probably can hum defying gravity. Bet. <laughs> but yeah, your your synopsis was spot on just about this Thank is you. a story about a friendship. And as far as it pertaining to like our season of death i mean one could say it's about the life and times of the wicked witch of the west and Absolutely. she's allegedly passed away this entire time and glinda is recanting the story of her life mm -hmm. to these 
wonderful Aussians. Mm -hmm. It's a reach. It's fine. But if anything, this is a nice little amuse-bouche, a palate cleanser in our season about death. if you will. And (laughs) on top of it, it's now uh, having its 20th anniversary this month, having been on the scene and on Broadway in the Gershwin for 20 years now. Mm -hmm. And it is... uh, it's just amazing I, because I, it's it's almost funny. Growing up, The Wizard of Oz was like my gateway musical. It was The Aww. Wizard of Oz and Mary Poppins. So I've had this Oz fever for my entire life that I can remember. Like as far as my Aww. memories go back, Oz has been a part of it. So p- getting to tell this story is also just feeds my soul in Aww. some little way so wicked is absolutely uh, a show that's up my alley but i swear someday there'll be a celebration throughout ours that's all to do with plot goes you are absolutely correct so we, we start off with uh, a couple of parents that do not want this green child mm-hmm. and uh it, then this child grows up in a pretty severe environment and of uh, oz at this time flowing in political turmoil and Things are happening. Changes are happening. A wizard has dropped down and is causing lots of people to change their minds on how things should be run. Sure. Flash forward to dear old Shiz, and we have these two opposing forces, the pinks and the greens, and you have to choose a side. <laughs> it's a very West Side story. What is it? The the sharks and the... Right. Sharks and the jets. Thank you. Yeah. And the jets. <laughs> 100. And yeah, uh, it just sort it tells their story. It tells how they came to be these uh, grand witches of the West and the North mm-hmm. and the human side of it all. And answers the question what is good? It's so funny. As I was listening to the soundtrack and I was watching this show, I love when the clue finally clicks in my brain. And it's happened several times over the course of these two seasons where like, you will give me the clue. And then I'm like, why would he give me that? And then I start when I go, I see you're so smart like that sometimes and I'm just thank god you give me grace for such a uh, well thank god I'm pretty we'll just say that I really do question sometimes and maybe it's because I grew up you know with this show like in my years of (laughs) being uh impressionable that I question sometimes am I doing this for good or for my, you know, for the optics of yeah. it all. Like, I think we need a cast list. We need to know who we're working with in this uh, grand tale full of morals and themes and uh, ca- a cast of characters we adjacently know through uh judy garland's uh, amazing mgm institution absolutely 
while it may not be the most reputable source in the world, I have gone to Wikipedia because it does have quite a, you know, particularly good cast list. Um, the only thing that we are missing, of course, is the kind of descriptions of these people. Um, so, you know, using my wonderful co-host, we will tag team to be able to describe to you who these people are. Um, should Mary fall flat on her nose, um, Stephen will hopefully be there to pick me up after he <laughs> giggles a little bit on the fact that I've broken my nose. Uh, starting at the top of this cast list. Now, this, I mean, if I had to hazard a guess, if I were looking at MTI shows, this cast could, you know, is anywhere from, you know, 10 to, you know, maybe 20 performers, I would say, because you're including all the ensemble folks in this um, uh, gaggle of humans. Um, yeah, we, you have your mains and then you do have what I would consider you need a larger ensemble and yeah. I consider a larger ensemble anywhere between 10 to 20. Uh, starting at the top, we are going to start with Elphaba Throp. Elphaba is, of course, the the green baby who is the outcast, the pariah. She inevitably becomes the Wicked Witch of the West, um, which I find very funny that she becomes the Wicked Witch truly because of a, of bad PR. Like, really? Like, it's really mm-hmm. because people are afraid of her? And it's, it's such a great through line in a lot of stories that people are afraid of you because you're different from them. And, and Elphaba strives so hard in the beginning to, like, want to be with the wizard because the wizard will degreenify her. But it's such a, oh, it's such a tasty through line. I like it. Next in the cast, we have Galinda. And Galinda is the pink of the pinks and the greens. Galinda is your classic popular girl. She is the one that everybody at Shiz is in love with, wants to be. You know, it's very, almost like a Heather situation kind of, where it's like the the icon in the school. She is the it girl. And everybody wants to be her, be with her. She ends up, of course, being uh, Galinda the Good Witch uh, at the very end. She gets given, you know, this title of Galinda the Good Witch. And she is our storyteller in the very beginning. She is the reason why we kind of get to hear this whole um, phenomenon. Uh, following after Galinda, we have Fiero. And uh, Fiero is Galinda's love interest for the beginning of this classic pretty boy. He's the guy who comes in who's like, eh. He sings the iconic song, Dancing Through Life. Fiero kind of embodies that whole, you know, life is fun and l- there are no consequences. I can just do what I want. Mm-hmm. Um, then we have Madame Morrible. And Madame Morrible is kind of your... Uh, the headmaster of Shiz. And uh, she is also the one who uh, ends up wanting to take Elphaba under her wing uh, to, you know, do a seminar in sorcery. And Galinda is very jealous of the fact that Elphaba was chosen and not her because Galinda's getting is used to getting everything she wants. So, you know, when she doesn't get it, she gets a little, uh, a little upset. Something's wrong. I didn't get my way. <laughs> Everybody has a Galinda in their life. Um, and then we have Nessa Rose Throp, who is uh, Elphaba's sister. Um, Nessa Rose is our character that is confined to a wheelchair in this show. Um, she also ends up being the, I guess, Wicked. She's the Wicked Witch of the East. Um, she has um, kind of what starts as a uh, kind of controlling history, I guess, with the uh, with the Munchkin people, and because uh, mm-hmm. you know she uh, has a relationship with one of the one of the Munchkin folk, and um, oh god, yeah. And see, it's it's convoluted, and especially in this uh, show, you don't get a lot of Nessa uh, or why things panned out the way that they did in this stage show. Exactly. 
I'm, you're going to hear me talk about this book, but I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm ready. Uh, yeah, it's explained a lot better, but you do get it in passing in the stage show that their family is actually not royalty, mm-hmm. but they are of part of that system. And so they end up just being the mayors and governors of um, this region sure. in Oz. And ergo, they get to be the mayor and governors of Munchkin Land at the end of all of this. I so see. that's how Nessa inherited this, but it's actually Alphaba's right, but Alphaba has exiled herself. Uh-huh. So uh, next on the cast list is a perfect transition. So Bach is the next person on our list. Um, Bach ends up being Nessa Rose's love interest strictly because of Galinda. And it's, I, I find it very funny that Bach is so ready to like do stuff for Galinda. And then Galinda goes, see that tragically beautiful girl, the one in the chair. And it seems so unfair that she could not go to this thing that we're going to. So would you do me a favor and just go be with her? Cause like, I feel like that would be really good. And then you almost kind of feel a little sad for Bach because it's like, he gets into this thing that he really didn't want to do, but he only did it because Galinda asked him to. And, and he, just, I mean, he also, he kind of becomes a little bit of a tragic hero, a little bit in my brain. A little bit. You know? And then he continues that mm. for like the rest of his days yeah. as Bach until a tragic incident when he gets to transform into the Tin Man. Oh so. my God. It's so, oh my God. Uh, it's, no, uh, it's just, this is what yeah, I love. His, his, love for glinda never wavered never ever and that's what i love about this show is being able to see like where these characters came from because like you know the wizard of oz is like again it's an iconic story that a lot of people know and you start with dorothy you always start with the witch they're the house dropping on the witch and she's got the ruby shoes and now we go through dorothy's story arc but like knowing the origin of the tin man the scarecrow the cowardly lion like I know. And this is actually where it fails for me and where it sort of disconnects. Yes, because I've stated before, I am an L. Frank Baum, Wizard of Oz stan. I have read all the series of like the 10 books, Um, you know, uh, The Wizard of Oz, Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz, Ozma of Oz, all of those things. I've read them and love them. So I know the history. Like I know each character's like thing and what's going on. And so this is where this falls short. Like the Tin Woodsman, this is not his origin this is not how he came to be this is so this not is where the show took its own liberties and they created their own world in a way oh sure and so like the origins of these people are not this like the scarecrow was at one point in time like a general of you know oz and so like that makes sense but no he was not fiero sure oh you know that sort of thing and no the uh that's not the lion's thing at being like a test subject at shiz right sort of thing but uh and you know the tin woodsman had an enchanted axe that just kept hacking off bits of him and he had to build parts to replace it and eventually he was just all made of tin so like that's it's just where the the show maybe has a little downfall for me but i separate it because it's its own it's created its own thing. I love it. Well, speaking of the wonderful wizard, that's next on our cast list. So we have the wonderful wizard of Oz. He appears to be a very kind of, um, I mean, he's a political figure in Oz. He's kind of the, he's the guy kind of running the show. Um, you know, we find out something very tragic about the, the wizard in regards to the, um, you know, the, the animal folk of Oz. Um, so, you know, that kind of plays into a major like plot point, which is why Alphabet 
develops into the person that she is going into act two. Um, but uh, I have to tell you this because this is so wildly funny to me. When I was talking to uh, one of our mutual friends today who was on our um, uh, little shop episode, if you haven't heard that, you should go back and listen because it is quite funny. Um, we were talking about this today and he said that Joel Grey, who did this role on Broadway for The Wonderful Wizard, uh, was like... In he, Cabaret. He was in Cabaret. He was the original MC in Cabaret. Um, but this used to be... Um, it was uh, Errol's kind of like stage icon, right? And he was like the guy. Sure. And Errol said to me... If you do not, because I, you know, of course I go, oh yeah, like, because I know Cabaret, but like, I've, I haven't seen, you know, and knowing what we're talking about, he can call my bluff immediately. And he's like, Mary, if you do not start learning about Joel Gray and you can actually like tell me where he's been, you need to just abdicate your role as co-host and I will take over because you know what? You can't be a theater person and not know who Joel Gray is. I felt it very funny to share with you because somebody is willing to step in and do my job. So, you know, that, I thought it was... He, I mean, yes, Joel Gray has a rich, rich history. That's even... That's saying the least <laughs> to say he has a rich history. He was like second choice for this. Mm-hmm. He was not going to be the original wizard and they had other people in mind. They had the, um, and of course now I'm blinking on his name, but he was the original guy who did uh, how to succeed in business without really trying. Like that was going to be the original wizard sure. as another institution of old Broadway. And now the, but then they found the replacement in Joel Gray. So mm-hmm. I, I felt very threatened. And so I had to tell you, because I was like, oh, God, someone's <laughs> going to take my job. The last person on this call sheet that I'm going to give plays a bit of an, um, I guess not a minor character, but like it is something that kind of, again, transforms Alphaba into the person she ultimately becomes. Um, Dr. Dillamond is the only animal professor at Shiz. And he is kind of the one that Alphaba kind of clings to a little bit because, again, he gives the vibe of an outcast, right? Because he's the only one. And there's an icon. There's a. Uh, it's not iconic. Stop saying that, Mary. There is a scene in the show where he's flipping the whiteboard to talk to his students, and there is a message on the board that says, "Animals are seen and not heard." And you know he interrogates the class, going, "Who did this?" And no one fesses up to it. And I feel like in that moment, Alphaba goes, I understand your struggle. I get it. And so she tries to share his lu- or her lunch with him. <laughs> he eats the paper off her sandwich, which is adorable. But um, we find out later that Dr. Delamond is, um, you know, I think it's the towards the end of Act One that um, animals are no longer allowed to teach at Shiz. And so he is being mm-hmm. let go from the school, which then causes Alphaba, you know, great uh, you know, psychological trauma, we'll say, uh, which, you know, leads into other things. Um, but that, my darling, those are your eight principles, I would say, with, you know, many other ensemble listed. Uh, but that is your call sheet for Wicked. For Galinda forced to resign Someone so disgusted get by We just want to tell you We're all on your side We share your
fresh off of rereading this book. And then I also watched the show and just seeing how vastly different they both are. Oh. You, like, it's so not the book. <laughs> and you know, for me, that's generally absolute like death knell like i'm like shut down i'm off i hate it i don't want anything to do with it yeah there's no way that if you took that book scene by scene word by word and tried to put that up on a stage mm -hmm. I, you would have the audience wanting to like slit their wrists by yeah, the end of it no nah, i'd be out it, it is it is not it i'm almost going to not be me for a second and give it a full on pass. They were able to take on the themes and bits and pull out the same heart that mm. was intended. So I, it still gets the same message, but you know, this is my, this is a one weird, weird one off to, to my general rule of like, what were they doing? <laughs> Maybe we can actually get into it a little bit. So I think there's only one place to start, and that's from the beginning. My my Stephen, my my I don't my my shiz. I don't know. I'm your shiz. You shiz, are yo. my shiz. Um, the we welcome you to Munchkin Land. <laughs> fa la 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 la. Oh my God! Duh. Fa la 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 la. <laughs> you are my Munchkin. Um, here we go. So, <laughs> stumbles into it like a like a pro. No, no, no. You're you're just dancing through life. <sighs> As much as I want to play Elphaba, I understand it's just not going to happen. So, Fiero, the thing I'm cleaving to, you would you would murder Fiero mainly because like I can see you. The let's be real, the dance number that I saw because unfortunately I could not watch the same cut that you did. The dance in this was so like kind of it was a little bit of beboppy. It was like it, it was just a little bit like it wasn't anything mm -hmm. terrible. You would absolutely take Fiero. You would dance him all up and over these statues and like around people and mm -hmm. like oh I feel yeah, like it's like, Fiero it's met Mr. Mistopheles. Oh yeah, my yeah, yeah. god. Cuz it's the same sort of thing with Link Larkin. Like you can't cast just like a park and bark person no you need a dancer for yeah. link larkin you so really i'm like do. oh perfect so like you're in the same track that's why i think i have this own sub theory that like if you've played link larkin you've probably played fiero because yes, you have uh, to be able to have both oh, both abilities i love so. it <sighs> anyway wicked wicked is and was a book, okay? We, yes. are, we are doing Wicked, The Life and Times of the Wicked Bridge of the West. It's an American novel published in 1995, written by Gregory Maguire. Now, I'm going to get into this right away. This is usually a later segment for us. I in, I talk about this all the time on here, this magical library that I always went to to borrow these musicals that Aww. birthed who this is yes. today. Uh, on Probably on one of my weekend trips with my mother. I saw on one of the new release tables this book i was already a wizard of oz like fiend Aww. like i had already gone through each of these books from this library of all the l frank bomb books so i went wait what what is this me as this like eight-year-old nine-year-old kid intrigued by this book 
I picked it up and I read about 40 pages of it. Oh, of this 400 page book. Good night. And it didn't feel like anything that it was over my head. It was not right. This wasn't the Wizard of Oz. This mm-hmm. wasn't the Land of Oz. This wasn't it. So I was skeptical and I put it back down and I never finished it. But I'd always known that eventually I would grow into it because it has these major adult themes and all these sure. these bigger, larger things that isn't, you know, this fantasy world. But I just wanted to state clear off the front, like this book ain't playing <laughs> at all. <laughs> no, we don't play that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. right. So I would also be remiss. L. Frank Baum does need to be mentioned in this as the creator of The Wizard of Oz. Um, We will clearly in the seven part episode deep dive that we're going to do with The Wizard of Oz one day, we will get to him. But for now, we just need to know that this author, L. Frank Baum, wanted to create a new children's story with characters that had never been seen or imagined. Okay, the one thing he held fast to was the idea of a wicked witch. He needed something familiar as like an antagonist to our sort of familiarized person that was Dorothy. Mm -hmm. Uh, The thing we could cleave to and sort of understand betwixt the sidekick mayhem that was going on in all these new things. It never did sit well with Bomb that he ended up doing this with just like a witch, like Mm -hmm. so unimaginative and so not. But he also knew that when he had written this, that there was more to her story and that it could be delved into more. Enter Maguire. He he had started uh, contemplating what evil was uh, when he was living in London um, in the early 1990s. He started asking himself, are you born this way or is it a self-fulfilling prophecy? Like we're coming out of this like serial killer era and, you know, the 80s, which is just its own thing. But <laughs> this speaks to it when Glinda has this line, are you born wicked or is wickedness thrust upon you? Mm-hmm. Right. She states this right at the very beginning. So sure. that's a nice little nod to the conundrum that was vexing poor Mr. Gregory Maguire. He stated as saying this, if everyone was always calling you a bad name, how much of that would you internalize? How much of that would you say, all right, go ahead? I'll be everything that you call me because I have no capacity to change your minds anyway. So why bother? By whose standards should I live? That's a really powerful statement. I mean, yeah. And if you read that, like you can put yourself into this main character of Elphaba, this wicked witch, just mm-hmm. to be like, you call me wicked? Fine. I'll be wicked for you. you and know, I'll like, be wicked sh- to the max. Like I will, not only will I be wicked, I will be the worst version of wicked for you just so you'll stop talking about it. Because like, yeah. you know, there's, I mean, it's kind of like negative self-talk. Like I, you know, I am self-deprecating so other people don't have to be, but like I, it's because I grew up being bullied. So people would say bad things to me. So then I in turn say bad things to myself because that that's was the way of it it's sad and like just to think about just to think about this and i think that's what's intriguing and what makes this idea of diving into who the witch is super interesting and why this is like holding like as a story but anyway uh he 
he had only been a children's author up until now. Uh, and he realized one day that any of the antagonistic sort of characters in these children's books that he had been writing and reading and, you know, uh, you know, delving into weren't really evil, but they're just misunderstood and but just made out to be the villain. And then sure. at the end, they have their sort of like realization or you get to see what led them to do what they were doing. He loved the idea that it was whichever way the numbers landed was what made that character the bad guy. It You could liken it unto like if Hitler's side had won, right? Like the world was riking all around. We, sure. we would almost be entering into an age right now where like our old guard is dying and we would be seen as and like Hitler would be seen as this like brave new visionary for a new world had he been successful like that's the thing it's just wherever the numbers lie and it's 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 a horrible comparison because like Hitler himself is a deranged embodiment of arrogant evil but like it's a good comparison (laughs) In a way that it, it needs to be made because it's all through the lens of what you look mm-hmm. or how you look. And so this story is so keen on doing that. And uh, but uh, any character in these children's tales that McGuire had peeled back those tropes to their core and kids apparently just don't get the nuances of like the Patrick Batemans of the world. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're not going to write that sort of intricate of a antagonist he had had that revelation one day of of saying oh maybe there's more to these these people he was always fascinated growing up with the wizard of oz tuned in every year for that annual viewing that Mm. still happens to this day and uh he always found the wizard sending a little girl to go kill a witch just as scary as like the witch herself so this gave him the idea he wrote a book. Um, he's also known for like twisting other fairy tales, the classic fairy tales and flipping the script on, you know, the villains and the protagonists and sort sure. of seeing it from their side and sure. perspective. Let's talk about this book just for a, a, a moment. Please. Um, imagine just taking all the magic and fantasy and sorcery and making everything benign. The only thing that you're left with is the people living there. So you're going to only have one thing to really talk about because the magic and the fantasy is not elevated anymore. It's not Mm -hmm. interesting. You're going to have all the conflict and the strife that people are going through. So that's when I always say this book is about like political turmoil and what's going on. There's so many different things that are happening within this book for a, a modern comparison. Not that 1995 is that far gone. But uh, it would be. Thank you for that beacon yeah. of hope. I really appreciate. I know, that. yeah. But I liken it unto <sighs> when they made the film Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Mm-hmm. They took out like plots that were going on. Like you don't hear about the house elf like strike and things that are going on. But that's a huge portion of the Goblet of Fire's main. Well, it influences a lot of things that happen. Exactly. And it's Hermione's like main thing that she's doing in that book. Mm -hmm. The way that they built Wicked, you would never know that these other things were happening. But what's happening is when the wizard landed, created something so big and it was like this major shift where sides were drawn, different religions are forming. You have other sort of like Gestapo-like 
officers and people coming in and mm-hmm. trying to like mitigate where people are are trying to be and what who they're trying to be and what religions are and so like it's it's a crazy weird time for the land of oz and the thing that you only know if you have read this book the clock of the time dragon there's a whole industrial feel to this entire stage show gears and metal and clanking mm-hmm. and it's really sort of raw and on top of the entire proscenium is a major dragon wings spread eyes fire oh, like it's this whole thing it's so pretty you don't get it because it's referenced once maybe twice in the show but it has no real bearing Mm-mm. and it was brought in by uh by some higher ups to the land where Elphaba was born mm-hmm. it, it didn't tell time it could tell you your level of innocence and how your integrity and were you a good person and and that sort of thing so there's this tone now throughout this whole book about being moral and being of a high status and keeping up appearances and being a good citizen and that's huge in this book and then you get not only Elphaba's side of the story like the first there are five parts in this book and the first part is just the story of their parents and her toddler upbringing sure and Elphaba's just like a baby in the background you're learning about everything that's happening in Oz via these conversations with the parents and the nanny and you learn about the infidelity that the mother had in having Elphaba as the baby. Yep, 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 yep. Um, and all of this. And like you're you're what I find funny, every single character that you were introduced to, you are given a flaw. They are inherently flawed. And you get to see the vile behind the mask sort of the man behind the curtain, really. Absolutely. Is what it is. You get to see the other side of them and their private conversations behind closed doors. And then you get to see how they act outside of behind closed doors. And you get to see this reversal that permeates this idea of what is good. Are we do we are we are we morally good or are we just good for show? It's just life, so keep dancing through. Dancing through life, swaying and sweeping, and always keeping cool. Life is fraudless when you're thoughtless. Those who don't try never look foolish. Dancing through life, mindless and careless. Make sure you wear less trouble in right Woes are fleeting, blows are glancing When you're dancing through life You have all these different vantages, but where this musical took it, was it just focused in on these two women and told it from them? Mm-hmm. If you want to get a little ethereal, this time-dragging clock um, is sort of like... It's a tone setter, yes, but I had this theory rereading this book. A major way that they send some of this propaganda out and the messages that the Emerald City is trying to get out to these people mm-hmm. are via puppet shows and like these things that are happening 
That's so Oz. cool. Okay. So imagine this, because this is all told from Glinda's perspective. This sure. show happens in a sugary sweet version of how Glinda decided to view this. I think it's kind of like a propaganda puppet show. And that switched my entire thought about a, how this musical a is a propaganda is told. puppet show yeah first of all great band name second of all what that's amazing okay tell me more tell me more yeah. tell me more and like at the very beginning you see this like hat or dance with this huge hat and like you get to see all these big things that are you know visible to you but to me that looks like marionettes it looks like big things you would see like to entertain children and like send a message and like marketing it's an old old adage of that's how people used to market around in old towns they'd put on propaganda puppet shows for people wow. all the time so knowing what this story is that makes total sense to me um, that's but wild I, wow yeah wow and so but yeah needless to say there's so many different things that happen in this book like uh nessa is not in a wheelchair nessa is actually born without arms but is still beautiful tragically beautiful yes and the silver shoes that she's given by the way if you don't happen to know this stupid little fact it is not ruby slippers it is silver slippers always first and foremost was there a reason why it was changed? Yeah, because MGM wanted to make a statement of f being flashy with Ruby Red with Judy Garland. So they wanted oh to make a PR God. statement. Silver shoes were going to be drab and blah. They didn't want that on the poster. Let's make wow. a movie. Wow. That, okay. Which is also kind of wonderful because like the first, like maybe not the first, but like I really remember the Wizard of Oz being like the Technicolor. Like that's what, mm -hmm. that's what it was Hallmark was Technicolor because like you get to the Land of Oz and all the colors are literally primary, like punchy colors. And, yeah, and it's oh not, my... it's not, it's not in vain. That was all a choice. And that's why Ruby Slippers. That's such a thank you for sharing that fact with me. That's so cool. Uh, but yeah, Nessa's born without arms, and these shoes assist with the balancing, and that's what helps her <gasps> like physically walk. Oh, oh my god. Which I find fascinating that the shoes are heels. Like, if any woman has worn a heel, <laughs> it does not help you do anything. Well, it's not very high. That's why you, they call them slippers. Correct. Right? That is very true. But like, you know, you get to different iterations of that and they become like three inch yeah, shoes. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh, yeah. excuse me? I'm stating it right now. Uh, Fiero is described as um, supposed to be having uh, ochre in color skin. Um, which means he was probably uh, would look much more like African, Asian, Middle Eastern, wow. Romani, Indian. Like he would have, he would have been something not pasty white boy. He would not have been that. Um, and <laughs> not pasty white boy. Come on. And Glinda did not like it. This was a deal breaker for her. She's like, I can't. I don't even want to talk to you because you have different colors. Glinda was a raging racist and I stand by that. Well, I mean, just from watching like the show, her line of, oh, look, the artichoke is steamed. Like, bitch, like, yum. Yeah, oh, firmly. I, yeah, no, I support that. Anyway, just thought uh, that should be full out and clear. He's a very small minor part of the book. So yeah, this love triangle doesn't exist between Glinda, Elphaba, and Fiero. Uh, Fiero is actually betrothed to someone else, and Elphaba and him have this illicit affair at uh, during this whole time. And then she actually rears a child with him named Lear. Whoa. 
sparking a sequel to Wicked called Son of a Witch, which is an Son of thing. a Witch. <laughs> yeah. I always laugh in uh, kneeling down and as long as you're mine. I'm like, is this supposed to be the sexy time you're supposed to be having in the book? Is that that? Yes, that's that. <laughs> that's it. You know what you're about to get like serious when you're when your stars get down on their knees and start singing to each other, you know, like that's. I mean, look at Spring Awake. Thank you. I was like, yes. <laughs> anyway, so like there's just all these weird little things that happen in the book that are just not, they don't line up. And it, it's where the stage show took huge swings to just create its sort of own narrative. Sure. But I do really do give it credit for being able to keep the heart. Later we'll learn McGuire had some things to say about it. But uh regardless this initial book had initial mixed reviews they thought this political allegory weighed down the story and some people thought it was just pure rubbish like it was not good and i just have to believe that people wanted the nostalgia and sort of fantastical world that was the wizard of oz and then they were just slapped with reality (laughs) like because mcguire took the fantasy of the world out and like Talking animals, you know, became benign, you know, like our all that we're left with are these characters riddled with, you know, their own shit. And that isn't quite ruby slippers and scarecrows, you know, no one likes to get slapped with reality. Yeah. Yeah. I really I think this book just solidified to any reader that people suck. And that was like a downer. I mean, truly, it is it is a universal life tenant that, you know, while we like people, people suck. Eventually, the rose colored glasses come off. They literally break off your face and life go because life punched you in the in the nose. Regardless of the mixed reviews, Universal Studios absolutely optioned the book's film rights to this. I mean, they know something when they see it. They were like, yes. (laughs) And then uh, Mark Platt, uh, he's an acclaimed producer. And yes, father of our one and only Ben Platt. Um, was intrigued um, and started looking for a script, started trying to develop his own script. Enter in our, we all know and love him, Stephen Schwartz. Um, (gasps) This is funny to me. He was on vacation in Hawaii. Okay. (laughs) Stop. I I can only think where this is going, but go ahead. Just tell me. Just tell me. <laughs> I mean, he'd he'd done a lot. He'd done Pippin. He'd done Godspell. He he deserves a little time in the sun. Actually, random. There's this other freaking show that he's done apparently called The Magic Show. What? Title The Magic Show. End title. I I need to look this up. <laughs> title Never have I ever. The Magic Show. End title. That was beautiful. Never Never have I ever. Okay. I, I do not. I need to figure this out. Anyway, he was in Hawaii. Okay, set the scene. A friend is reading Wicked whilst sunning themselves. Okay. <laughs> Schwartz asked, Kekwa, what? What is this? Uh, what? What's this? What's this? After about two sentences left the sunning person's mouth in explanation, Schwartz had his lawyer on the phone. He started praying to the theater gods, saging this new theater space, Melika Naminaminatutatuing this show into existence. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> no, he he was like, on it. Done. We're doing this. Wow. This is gonna be a thing. Wow. It took it took two sentences to be like, oh, it's about the Wicked Witch of the West and what happened before Oz. And she's he was like, lawyer. That is 
hysterical. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So Platten Schwartz met. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> as, as the people in charge now, uh, Platt agreed um, that music was actually the thing that was needed, sort of hearkening back to this Wizard of Oz feel. It made sense, and it really was. Um, like in every script that he had been receiving or had been working on was so bogged down with all of this political nature oh, no. and everything that the book was doing. It's so, I can't, I can't, I truly can't even describe how different this is. Like, Elphaba did not go to Shiz to study sorcery. Elphaba went to Shiz to study, like, activism. Oh. And then what? the seven-year jump between raising her little boy that was with the illicit affair with Fiero. Right. She goes to apologize for them getting imprisoned and Fiero dying. <gasps> at their palace that is where she starts learning sorcery oh, like this whole, this up. whole thing about her going to shiz and like in the book she is studying sorcery but she switches to animal activism after everything that happens to dr Dillamond. which absolutely tracks oh my god like, Duh. so again like the heart of it's all there they made it make sense but well, yeah. we, we took uh, some creative liberties, it seems. There's with that. some creative liberties here. Yeah. But it's it's all really interesting. Like if you wow. can if you can stomach some hard shit, please read the book. It is actually pretty good, but just oh. understand you are not about to be in in a scene of loathing. Okay. Oh. <laughs> popular. You're gonna be popular. I'll teach you the proper poise when you talk to boys. Little ways to flirt and flounce. I'll show you what shoes to wear, how to fix your hair, everything that really counts to be popular. I'll help you be popular. You'll hang with the right cohorts. You'll be good at sports. Know the slang you've got to know. So let's start, because you've got an awfully long way to go. Don't be offended by my frank analysis. Think of it as personality dialysis. Now that I've chosen to be So realizing they needed to switch up the script a little bit and ergo probably change some of the story from this wrist slitting situation, <gasps> they knew they had to approach Mr. Jer Jerry Maguire, Gregory Maguire, because that makes so much sense, uh, to allow this musical to become what it is. So um, it actually took some convincing. Uh, this story to Mr. Maguire is not about this magical musicalness. It's about humanity and how shitty we can be to each other. So yep. he didn't see how this was going to translate. Like he, he hesitantly agreed. It is stated. He thought this would be a fun ride to go on and see his vision come to life in a different medium, but <laughs> he was skeptical. I mean, so yeah. we enter in Winnie Holzman, who was brought in to write the actual book. Um, she usually wrote for television up to this point, which brings me to this other funny point about Wicked as a whole. This musical is an oddity in that she's different. Yeah, she's different. She was developed Ooh. in L.A. as opposed to you know, on the Great White Way adjacent and, you know, studios and trying to figure out, no, this was developed in L.A. with L.A. people. Whoa. And this is almost side plot worthy, but well, it's within canon. So I fine. almost hit a button. I was I know, ready. I know, I know. Stephanie J. Block, <gasps> who might ring a bell. Yes. Are 
lovely Broadway goddess herself, originally the world's alphabet. Okay. She was brought on to sort of curate and help create in the very, very early readings and stages and recording some music, the tracks being set down, but she wasn't big enough. She wasn't big enough then. Um, she had only done some Disney park shows and some smaller local things. And the producers thought that they needed someone substantial to bring in, to be the driver's seat. Sure. And that was Adina coming in off of rent and, um, you know, she could sell tickets and she sort of had her own fan base because of rent to boot. So like yeah. it, it made sense for this big vehicle. So later, Stephanie J. Block does, does actually redeem herself. She gets her own tour contract as the first alphabet like out on tour. Yay! So that sort of oh, set good. her own standards. She got, she got her comeuppance with it all. So she was Yay. paid nicely. But um, the funny thing is Schwartz only ever considered Kristen Chenoweth for Glinda. Like this part was written for Glinda. Um, wow. She was in L.A. filming her own series. I was unaware of this. Just self-titled Kristen. Um uh. <laughs> I know. I need to check it out. I need to see what this is. But she had just won a Tony for her role in You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. Yeah. And they were banking on this because she was sort of a hot ticket item at this moment. Sure. She almost didn't want to do it. She didn't want to commit to it. And then she was given an early version of the script. She saw some heart and went, I have to. If I don't, I'm gonna go, going to regret this. <gasps> oh. And I think she would have. But yeah, having her on board actually reshaped a lot of this story um, to be what it is, to be between two friends. Like, that wasn't a huge portion of the story because sure. it essentially didn't exist. Maybe we can blame Kristen Chenoweth for this being such a huge divert because her star power made them create Glinda into this bigger, non-racist role. <laughs> um. I would absolutely love for that to be the the reason why Kristen Chenoweth comments on any of our posts on Instagram. Oh, right. Like Carrie Butler talking to us about Xanadu. I would I would murder for Kristen Chenoweth to say anything to us about Wicked. So you know what? Let's make it a campaign. Putting it out in the universe. Putting it okay. out in the universe. You know what? If you don't follow us, you better on Instagram from the top underscore podcast. You let's champion Kristen Chenoweth to say something about this about our coverage of this show because I swear to God, like, she's just... Oh, my God. If everyone just asks Kristen Chenoweth, she's gonna be like, what the hell is this? She's like, what? Oh, my God. I'd lose... (laughs) I'd... Oh, my God. They got her on board. The story was reshaped, sort of of the duality of these two strong female leads. I I think maybe Wicked was, like, a predecessor of, like, Frozen in a way, right? It showed that two strong dueling female characters could like be the main vehicle of something. There's other, there's other stuff like in Broadway, of course, of strong empowered women before this, but this wicked really cemented this idea that you don't need no man. You do not need no man. Let's go. So development happened as it do rewrites, rehearsals, producers crying because they're spending money on things that seem to just be getting nowhere. That sort of thing. Mm Mm-hmm. No workshops were actually done with this show, just readings until Joe Mantello was brought on. Um, He's the main director. Um, So they would eventually mount the show in San Francisco just to test things out, see where they were at, get a vibe, get a vibe check. I love a vibe check. Let's pass it. (laughs) Yeah. So McGuire had taken a backseat in all of this, trusting that the Broadway people, the professionals would know what they're doing and keep to the story. He hated it. 
<gasps> hated it. No. Hated it. He felt all the soul was ripped out. Nothing was familiar to him. And it was just mindless fluff. Them's is some strong fighting words there, friend. Yeah. So as the owner of the source, they kept altering. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. Official first preview was met with mixed reviews. Um, not just Maguire's. Uh, this wasn't promising for a lot of the cast and for a lot of, you know, the backers of this. Sure. So Schwartz and Holzman, our book writer, shut themselves off and out from, like, sort of the rest of the directorial team. Schwartz is kind of known for this. He digs his heels in, cries like a little baby, and until he gets his way, he will not budge and, like, threatens to quit. Whoa! He's known for this. So this is not, like, news. I'm not, like, this is not... <laughs> well, me being slanderous. No, no, no. You're just this speaking is... the truths that are in the world. Yeah, yeah. Joe or Mantello, the director, did not like this, of course. So he was brought on to try and develop this into something. And usually by now, the director is running the show and Schwartz just sort of as the main composer, like, who are you <laughs> to be telling me how I should be building the show? But Schwartz was the main guy who always sort of had the vision for this. So he was having a really hard time of letting go. Ooh, okay. But... They came to agreements. Some major changes were were made. Which way to the party became dancing through life. Which way to the party? I've actually heard. I've seen clips of this. It's really. It's, it's a huge dance number. Like we think dancing through life's a dance number, or the Oz Dust Ballroom's a thing. No, 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 no. Which way to the party was Fierro's song, and it was blowing the roof off. It <gasps> was huge. The entire cast loved it. They were gutted when it got cut. No. There was actually a funeral scene for Dr. Dillamond that happened in the end of Act One. No. Yeah, so he's the, he had been killed, but it was just sort of a bummer. Then there was also like an alternate ending after where the Scarecrow and Elphaba went to Dillamond's farm in the Badlands, and that was cut and changed. It became the show we now know that it is today, debuting on Broadway after final previews in San Francisco on October 30th, 2003. Uh, just a few things to note about it. It's the fourth, fourth longest running show with approximately 8,000 performances under its belt. 46 alphabets have been in existence. Mm. Notably, Avenue Q, alarmingly, to everyone's surprise, swept the Tonys that year. And Wicked was iced out of a lot of it, except Adina Menzel winning Best Leading Actress. <laughs> um, I... I also found this really cool. This show is one of the only shows in musical theater history to have multiple residencies in major cities and have not one, but two touring companies simultaneously. Like, all of these things are happening. Like, it has residencies in major metropolises all the time, and it often has two running tours at the same time. And That's so wild. Want and need for this show is still sky high. Like, th this show will never close. I don't know. What might have been But that doesn't soften The ache we feel When reality sets back in Blythe smile Lithe limb She was winsome She wins him Gold hair With a gentle curl that's the girl he chose And heaven knows I'm not that um, I, 
I have to believe after this film comes out, there's just going to be a resurgence of like, let's go see it, you know, in theaters. So. So then I get to blame you if Wicked ever announces that they're closing. We do tend to have that death knell. Yeah, you hmm. seem to kind of predict the future, but you you claim to not be able to. I feel like you're a witch, and I've said that before, and I will stand by that. <laughs> he just grabs I will neither it. confirm nor deny. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Of course you won't. Fun facts, though. I love this. Elphaba is actually a play on L. Frank Baum. <laughs> Cute. Oh, Elphaba, that's Frank Baum. And this was deliberate. Like, uh, he never gave the Wicked Witch of the West a name. It was just always the Wicked Witch. That's amazing. I mean, a la Frankenstein style. Frankenstein's monster. They're, the monster has no physical name. So yep. just is what it was. Oh, and I love this. And this is something I have recognized since the first 10 seconds I ever listened to this uh, cast album. Unlimited is a bastardized version of the key notes in Somewhere Over the Rainbow. And it's purposeful. Seven notes is copyright law infringement. So Stephen Schwartz was very, very smart in what he did by rearranging it. Somewhere over the rainbow is unlimited <gasps> my future is unlimited what yep my brain is and broken i say within the first 10 seconds because in the overture there's this moment where everything switches yeah and it's this nice transition from one piece into the other Listening to it, I've being a Wizard of Oz fan my entire life, I was like, did they gain the rights to Somewhere Over the Rainbow? Because wow. that's what this is. Dun, 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 At that moment in the overture, and I'm like, yes! So you're I've known this fact, but getting it there was so good. You're such a nerd about this show, and I'm so happy about it. Oh my <laughs> God. Ugh, I love you so much. God. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the opening on Broadway was actually kind of riddled in highs and lows, just just like this book. This was stupid. What the heck was this? And the other half were like, oh, my God, this is the most brilliant piece of theater I've ever seen. <laughs> it's opening night. It's opening night. And now we get firsthand experience in that, you know, we record all those all those things live. So when you laugh over it. All right. Well, uh, you know, normally I like to go to the New York Times. But um, <laughs> uh, as we know, the New York Times gets a little wordy when it comes to some of their uh, reviews. So we are looking at uh, Variety.com. This was published on October 30th, 2003 uh, for the opening of Wicked. It's not easy being green or blonde for that matter. Those are just two of the many lessons to be learned from this big, murky, new Broadway musical. But maybe the most salient pointer is that it ain't easy being a Broadway musical. A strenuous effort to be all things to all people tends to weigh down this lumbering, overstuffed $14 million production. Wicked is stridently earnest one minute, self-mocking the next, 
a fantastical allegory about the perils of fascism in one scene, a Nickelodeon special about the importance of inner beauty in another. There are flying monkeys, flying witches, and flying scenery, but the musical itself truly soars only on rare occasions, usually when one of its two marvelously talented leading ladies, Kristen Chenoweth and Adina Menzel, unleashes the kind of vocal magic that needs no supernatural or even technical assistance. It's about as flip-floppy as the show is, kind of. I mean, you know. Right? Yeah. I. It just, it's so weird to me because I never once thought this show wasn't strong in in how it it, it is given the only things i, I maybe it's because i'm so steeped in oz like i sure. love this magical land so i accept certain things that's why the one of the the mishaps i only feel is because they weren't true to source but probably due to copyright law they couldn't <laughs> like they couldn't be do that <laughs> so i i mean i don't know how I could go to this show and not feel good about it. (laughs) Not feel good. (laughs) Oh God. That, Oh, so good. We've kind of been in this in this trend of um, having a good mix of shows that teach a really good lesson and then other shows that kind of appear to be like that palate cleanser. And, you know, here here's an excellent opportunity to uh, wave the white flag, as it were. I am a really bad theater kid by nature, and uh, I have not actually, like, seen this show i know this show and i've heard songs from this show but i never really understood the story of this show and and now that i understand the story of it it speaks volumes to me about the the consequences really of following your true self and like sticking to your guns because a lot of times that's romanticized in you know film television and theater when you stick to your guns everybody respects you and like you're gonna win in the end and like everything will turn out for the better and it's like clearly Elphaba did that and then everybody hated her for it and she never changed because she went this is wrong I don't like this Screw it. I'll just be wicked. I'll be evil because all of you guys need somebody to hate. So she also becomes a tragic hero kind of in that way because she is the person that you that you need to hate because you got to have somebody to blame. And mm-hmm. and it's just it, it's such a beautiful story in that way because you know, I mean, the Wicked Witch of the West, like, who the hell is going to tell a redeemable story about the Wicked Witch of the West? In every piece of, of media, the Wicked Witch is always, she's like Maleficent, right? She's the bad guy that nobody cares about. But then you've got this beautiful story where she comes from a, a home that didn't want her. And now, I mean, again, I'm sorry, I should say I'm speaking from the stage version because, again, I haven't yeah, you know, yeah. read all of the things. But in the stage version, she comes from this home where she's not wanted. She goes to a school where she's mocked openly by the students. Her sister even is like, oh my God, would you just like stop? Like, could you just for one second not be yourself? And and it, it, she just keeps getting beaten down to the point that she's like, well, I mean, yeah, okay, fine. And then she tries to, you know do the you know the galinda thing and even fiero's like you've been galindified like you don't need to do that you know and she's like no no i do because otherwise they're going to make fun of me i love the story in that way and and i did not appreciate it until you know 
this podcast. So thank you for at least giving me a little bit of a voucher back for a theater thing. So I don't have to give you my card fully, but I can just give you half of my theater card. Okay, wait, but why do you need to give me your theater card? You stated this. What is this? Why? Okay. Do you really want to hear this now? Fine. I really do. Fine. I'll tell you. Uh, (laughs) Oh my God. I don't even know if I can say it out loud. So for years I have heard different songs from Wicked and I, you know, I I know a, a, a lot of the music, but I have never sat down and listened to Wicked from start to finish until this show. And so for pretty much the entirety of my life, I have always thought that Defying Gravity was in fact the finale finale song and not the act one finale song. (laughs) Wow. Okay. (laughs) I'm... Unclenching, unpacking, I'm <laughs> I'm unwrapping, wow. I'm unforgiving. <laughs> so many. Okay. So I I think I went through all seven stages of grief right now. Okay. So uh, no. and I just okay. it's why I didn't even want to tell you, Steven. So here here's my thought on this. No. I, I'm sliding you back your card, but you, you on thin ice it's such a big bold defiant song that could could if you aren't completely familiar with like what the full story is of this and never having seen the show they're really smart with the marketing on this it's just like cats they they never tell you (laughs) what the physical show is about they just give you those cat eyes and tell you what's up yep they were very very smart about everything surrounding the marketing with the show and like the big twist at the end of yes fiero is the scarecrow that's how it all pans out that's her magic to save him from being killed so he's just made of straw and can never die i will allow it because it's so big and never having listened from stem to stern (sighs) sure but i'll believe you but that's scary but i don't know i love that you're giving me this pass but here i'm gonna call myself out real fast i could you could i could look at the spotify or the whatever and look at it and go oh it's in the middle of the show huh that seems weird Sort of ties in. What is your like first real experience then with the show? What do you remember? How do you remember knowing about Wicked? Um, so I remember seeing a um, I think it was a YouTube clip actually of um, they were doing a behind the scenes of how um, Alphaba gets lifted up during Defying Gravity. And they were showing the mechanic of like her dress coming out, but her like mm-hmm. being on, you know, a lift. And and my roommate, I think in college was 
watching it. And so I was like, oh my God, like that's so weird. And she's like, yeah, well, here's the show. And so, you know, like I do, I start from, okay, this is how I used to listen to music. I would start from the beginning of a, of a, a cast album. And then if I didn't like the song, I would skip ahead. And then once the song caught me, I would listen to it and then skip everything else I didn't like. So that's why I only knew like seven or eight songs from this show because I would skip everything else. But um, yeah, freshman year of college, it was really kind of the thing. Cause I mean, it would have been five years on Broadway when I was in college. Uh, so it was 2008. And um, so, but it was very like very surface level. I mean, it was uh, again, like auditioning for theater. A lot of people were saying things like do not sing defying gravity. Do not sing popular. Like d- these are too overused. So we don't want those mm-hmm. in auditions, but actually one of the, <laughs> when I was in voice lessons, I didn't realize until I was in college, one of the um, songs that I would sing in my voice lessons when I was 16 was popular. And I had no idea that it was from this show (laughs) until I was in college. And I'm like, oh, my God, it makes so much sense now. (laughs) Okay. Neat. Again. Amazing. I'm glad I'm pretty. I'm so slow. It's Hey, hey, we are all on our own theater journey. And we know I am here to educate you on musicals. And I am here to reach into the corners and depths of shows that scare the shit out of me oh my god so, thank god for you being my so musical theater sherpa because otherwise i'd be lost without you i of course had my wicked book experience yes. we all know that but yes. I, i've actually already told the story of how i found wicked mm-hmm. uh i in our hairspray episode i in our sam goody on a school trip my Aww. sophomore year of high school was up in the big city saw the hairspray cast album the blue wig caught me so I grabbed it and right behind it was the Wicked's Wicked album. And I went, well, you look intriguing and I love The Wizard of Oz. So Yoink. wait, wasn't this that book? Oh, OK. Oh, also shout and, out to Sam Goody. Like, And I remember I popped in Hairspray on my way home, the drive home. And I listened to that twice through because I really, really liked it. When I got home, I put Wicked on my boombox stereo system in my basement bedroom and imagine that popping off in like surround sound for the first time of dun 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 boom boom dun 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 dun. and I was like oh my god what is this that is the coolest image because I just see you sitting in front of a speaker listening to musical because it was I was down in the basement it was dark it was like a beautiful religious experience because my stereo was so bright it would like do blue hue everywhere (gasps) so i would shut off my lights it was total black but the blue hue was there and i just lie down on my bed and i would just envision the show and that's how i would often just listen to new musicals and this with wicked was perfect i started choreographing loathing in my head the first time i saw this of course it was so i i i fell in love and i it became immediately obsessed learned all the stuff dancing through life is in my audition booklet it's just so good
Apologies for all of these two-part episodes lately, but there is just too much to cover in this amazing show that is Wicked. We appreciate all of you out there that tune in every week to our frenetic, raucous coverage of (laughs) two theater nerds talking through these amazing musicals, and some not-so-amazing musicals, but we love them anyway. But we wanted to just thank you, first and foremost. Please give us a follow. Rate us if you have a moment of time. It really does help us get spread out to all the more masses of the theater community that would like to listen to us. And stay tuned. We're finally getting into some of the nitty-gritty of Wicked in our Part 2 coverage. So just let, let it play on. And happy listening.